Welcome to Sons of Gun, a podcast about the DC Universe. I'm Alex Gunn. And I'm Justin Gunn, and I'll definitely empty the dishwasher, Dad, if you fix Superman. (laughs) Well, we'll see what happens, because we are going to do a Man of Steel rewatch and re-review on this episode. I'm doing these every once in a while, gearing up for the new DC Universe in theaters. Now, technically, the Flash movie, which is coming out in less than a month at the point that we're taping this, is not part of the new DC Universe, but it is a swan song in a certain sense for the DCEU that preceded it, and potentially there are some elements that will go forward into James Gunn's new DC Universe. Well, and I think either way, this was a resetting point and definitely like a uh, a pivot point, a launch point for what the the previous future of the DC Universe. So I think there has to be some elements of that pivot that are going to be used going forward, either in the short term or maybe even in the long term under uh, Gunn and Saffron's new take. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're basically archaeologists here looking back to the past to understand the future is what we're doing. You call this archaeology? We do. We do call this This movie belongs in a museum, or does it? That's what we're going to discuss over the course of the episode. Now, the movie did come out June 14th, 2013. It was directed by Zack Snyder. Screenplay by David S. Goyer, based on a story by David S. Goyer and Christopher Nolan, A little bit of history there. There's actually a lot of bit of history here because you, of course, know there were the previous Superman movies that star Christopher Reeve. There was a lawsuit that happened between those and Man of Steel from Siegel. I don't think it was both Siegel and Schuster. Probably should have written this down. But at least one of those families basically sued Warner Brothers and contractually... This is the best way of making movies, we all agree. Contractually, Mm. Warner Brothers had to make a Superman movie or they would lose the rights. So that's kind of how it works. So they were in development on a bunch of different takes on Superman movies. The first, not the first one they did, but one of the big ones that they did uh, famously was J.J. Abrams' take that he was going to do called Superman Flyby. There was a bunch of casting, including Henry Cavill, who eventually starred in this movie, and Amy Adams, who eventually starred in this movie, both auditioned. I believe also Tyler Hoechlin, if I remember correctly, auditioned. He may have auditioned for Man of Steel as well. Basically, the people that are in contention have been in contention for a while for this sort of thing. That, no pun intended, never got off the ground. But eventually, while working on The Dark Knight Rises, David S. Goyer and Christopher Nolan started talking about Superman. David S. Goyer had a take that you see on screen. It's a more modern take on Superman. It's basically taking Superman Birthright by Mark Wade, as well as some other elements from other movies and stories, jamming them all together. Christopher Nolan was very excited about it. He took it to the studio and pitched it by them. I think that's the main reason he has a story by credit, by the way, is pitching the story with David S. Goyer. But ultimately, it was David S. Goyer running with it. There were a couple of other directors that were in contention. Ultimately, Zack Snyder took over the helm, and we were off to the races. Now, that's all the backstory on here. I think this is a – I should mention up front, we're going to jump into spoilers. We're going to talk about spoilers for the movie. We're going to very freely talk about them and our impressions. Um, But this is obviously – even if you are a Snyder devotee, you know this is a controversial movie, and there's been a lot of arguing about the different events that happened in this movie. 
I, I want to talk about, before we even get into this rewatch and impressions, I want to talk about first impressions, because I believe you, me, and Pete, who recused himself from this podcast, were all at one of the first press screenings for Man of Steel. And I will tell you my impression there. I remember very clearly I was watching it. I was very impressed by the visuals and everything that was going on. There were some really gorgeous and interesting things happening on screen. I remember that very clearly. And then I also remember the point towards the end of the movie, the most heavily debated point of the movie, when Superman snaps Zod's neck. There were mm. gasps in the audience, which you never hear at a press greeting. I think out loud, I... I'm not a shouter. I don't shout at movies. I don't say anything in movies. I want absolute quiet. But I remember very distinctly, I couldn't even help myself. It went, no. Yeah. <laughs> in the seats. And I also remember, which this is a rarity at press greetings. Usually everybody's like, great. I got to go put together my story. Give me my phone back. And I'm out of here most of the time. I remember standing in that lobby Afterwards, for a very long time, talking with you guys, talking with other press folks, uh, arguing and discussing about like the different aspects of the movie, but very specifically about the next app. That was my impression on first seeing it. Uh, curious, Justin, what was your impression? Yeah, I mean, the, I also remember the first screening of it. And the, while the killing the neck is the big one uh, that I think is a betrayal of what we all think of Superman in general and what we... Uh, sort of, I think, want what most people want from Superman. Uh, I also, this other one that I still hold on to and I'm rewatching, I was like, this is so crazy, is Pa Kent's death. Oh my God. That is like one of, it's even, I get why you uh, want to let have. The, let the tornado take me. <laughs> <laughs> like, just absolute insane behavior. No human would do that. And if you're saying Pa Kent is a, absolute anomaly then again you're missing the point of what pa kent is in mm -hmm. the superman mythology but the uh i get what at the end killing zod i get they were trying to do something edgy that feels like a choice the pa kent thing is an even crazier choice i think that to me is more of a betrayal and a more nonsense idea than even the killing of zod so to get into the rewatch aspect of it i absolutely flat out i was so upset about the next snapping thing and i have been so upset for a solid decade i refused to watch the movie at any point until this is actually my second rewatch of this year because wow. my kids wanted to first they wanted to watch through all the Batman movies since we watched through all the Batman movies and they enjoyed that to varying respects. And then they said, OK, we kind of want to see kind of but not really because we've heard the bad. We kind of want to see the Ben Affleck movies. And I was like. I guess I guess we have to watch Man of Steel. Got to do it first. Got to see. And they were interested in the Superman stuff as well. And so we were watched it. Uh, and so that was the first time that I rewatched it. The second time I rewatched it was for this podcast. So I guess I'm just like you know you're in it now. You do watch yeah. it, rewatch it every I'm three Stockholm months. I'm Stockholm syndroming myself is what I'm doing until I eventually love this movie. Uh, but I, I guess my point in bringing this up is like they had the same reactions that I did. Yeah. When I was watching the movie where and the same reactions you're bringing up of like, this makes no sense. And I think to focus on the pockhead thing first, I do think you can translate it actually to focus on both things at the same time. I think the reason these moments are so heavily debated are there are a million other choices. There are a million yeah. different ways that you can go in both of these scenarios. And to me, and the main problem that I've had with both of them is Superman always finds a way. The yeah. argument on the other side 
is, oh, this is a younger Superman. He doesn't know any better yet. And I get that and I understand that. But I think this is a fundamental difference of opinion in terms of who people who like this movie and people who hate this movie in terms of what Superman should be. And when somebody tells me I need to relate to Superman on every any level, uh, you know, as a human, like as equals, that's not true. You are never going to be Superman. That's never going to happen. Superman is born this way. This is who he is. He yeah. is raised. That's who Lady Gaga was singing about. Exactly. That's her inspiration for the song. Look up the interviews. I'm not going to link them here. But they... <laughs> <laughs> no, say the web, say the URL, letter by letter. <laughs> HTTP colon slash slash www. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, taking I, notes, I, feverishly I, taking sorry, notes. I need some, I need some, I need some water. Crack some reporter run. Justin Here Tyler at the Daily Planet taking notes. You're not going to relate to Superman. Superman is there to inspire. He is there to make the right choices, the hard choices at any point. A good writer throws him into impossible situations, and then a great writer is the one who figures out his way out of that. And in both mm-hmm. of these cases, you know, and again, this gets back to like people who love this movie say, no, he's in the moment. He doesn't have the brain power to think like he can't think around it. But I saw something even the other day with the Zod thing where and it was very funny, but it was like a still of the family who's being trapped by Zod's uh, yeah. beams, And they were like, uh, well, you can go under or you can go around that rock. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> yeah. Even for them, there's other choices. And like. I agree with you. They're making a choice. They're making a definitive choice. It's just not a choice that in my mind jibes up with Superman. Sorry, that was well, all a monologue. No, I, I like it, though, because I think this cuts to the the core philosophy, I think, of this era of DC movies. And uh, like, and to your point, like Superman should be better than us. He's like an icon. I feel I have a slightly different take. I think Superman is the most human of all of the heroes. He is the one because he's observed humanity from the outside. He comes in and he ends up being the biggest embodiment of what it means to be human. And I think they just, they, they've just taken the wrong lessons in this movie. It's sort of like the, the original sin, if I can call it that. And I like Christopher Nolan, but the Nolanification of the DCU where everything is dark and brooding and everything is trauma based works for Batman. But to make, Superman, a Batman, you're, you're, it's a little lazy. Like, mm-hmm. you, they're different. And so it'd be like, now we're going to Superman up, we're going to Batman up Superman. It's like, no, write a, make a different story. And they had the elements here, but instead they went this way. And they, rather than it being about, you know, the Kents inspiring Clark mm-hmm. to be a human and to like learn this world, they were like, hide, hide. Like, Pa Ken is such an unlikable character. He's so like, don't do that. You can't do that. It's like scolding and like, it's not at all inspiring. And I think that's the thing missing from not only this movie, but all of the DC movies up until this point is a lack of inspiration in the heroes. Well, so I'm going to slightly disagree with that in a certain respect. And this gets into things that maybe I actually appreciated a little more on rewatch, you know, my first impression, like I was saying, when I was sitting in the movie, there were things that I picked out that I enjoyed. I was like, wow, the visuals are really incredible, but I was so stunned by the next snap and other choices that all of that was washed away. That was the big takeaway for me from the movie. Rewatching it these last two times, I was struck by there's almost too many ideas going on in the movie and too many directions they're going, which I liked all of the individual ideas that they have, and they're interesting. Uh, to throw a couple of out there, 
The idea of using Superman as an autistic metaphor, which they do very clearly in the flashback scenes, I think is kind of fascinating. It's something you can explore, but they don't explore it. They use it as like a punchline later on when Zod's like, nope, I'm a military man. I got all my powers and I got them in control right now. That's all it is. It doesn't play out in the way that they play Superman. It's not a choice. It's something they're just kind of throwing in there. Or alternately, the whole idea of like, we're doing an alien invasion movie with Kryptonians, which is how they set up Zod getting there. Again, a really interesting idea, but it doesn't really play out in any necessarily big way over the course of the movie. So they're doing these things that are aping other things, but they keep... I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot of interviews with Zack Snyder at this point, and frankly... To give him credit where it's due, I think he is a really smart visual director. Like, he knows how to compose a scene. He knows how to put together an action scene for the most part. But he seems scattered. Like, he's sort of like he's a little boy running after the stuff and being like, ooh, let's do that. Ooh, that'll be cool. Let's do this cool thing. And there's no focus there in terms of the story. Well, and I, but I blame I don't blame him as much. And like, I'm not a Snyder apologist by any means. But like, I do think the visuals in this movie are good. And there's a version of this movie that is great. But I think the the problem with it is the the themes and the underlying tone and, and some of the overstuffed narrative that I think sort of every superhero movie has. But the idea like to your point about like the flashbacks to young Clark, like This movie others Superman in a way where I'm like, the point of the movie should be the opposite. We should be bringing Superman in. We don't get to ride with him as he makes choices. We observe him from the outside. And so often, every character besides Lois Lane reminds him, we are scared of you. We don't like you. Top to bottom. And Ma Kent, I think, also doesn't really do that. But, like, everyone is just crushing him. And we just see him be so, like, shut down emotionally over the course of the movie and two of the the biggest moments when he responds is when his father tells him not to save him and he screams afterwards because of course and then later when he kills Zod and he has this huge emotional reaction like why did I do that and I'm like that's we don't need we don't want that this is is it about growing up like we we we're supposed to empathize empathize with him because he killed and feels bad when we don't want that we want to be inspired that he found another way Superman Mm -hmm is better than us, not simply more powerful than us, you know? And I think that the movie just makes that mistake over and over again. Yeah, I think you could contrast, for example, the Zod moment against when, and I I feel like this is a poorly constructed sequence overall, but the final sequence where in Metropolis you have Lois Lane and a couple of those scientists trying to use the Phantom Zone projector to take down Zod's ship, while on the other end of the world, Superman is destroying the world engine, Again, thematically, I think the idea where he goes off there and he's like, yeah, I'm probably going to lose all my powers while I do this. This is probably going to kill me. That's, But I'm going to do it anyway because it's the best thing in the world. That on paper makes a lot of sense. The way that it's executed, though, is he doesn't really lose his powers. He does destroy the world engine. And he's there in the middle of an ocean kind of all by himself. And that's pretty much it. While... Lois Lane and the scientists are dealing with the movie's biggest problem, which this rewatch is the one where I picked up on this. The biggest problem of the movie that everybody deals with is that uh, key is very sticky. Like you try (laughs) to get it into something like it doesn't go all the way. You got to jam it that final bit. Yeah. Got to jam it. Good death is worth dying for or whatever. And then you (laughs) jam that key. I mean, it's a cool like dunk. It's very like hit the jukebox with your fist kind of a like got it. And, And that's cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the biggest technological stumbling block. 
Um, but um, I think uh, to your to our points here, the movie has um, larger problems. One I wanted to bring up also this sort of Christianity myth stuff that's in here. Again, like, and I get a lot of movies do that, but the when he goes out in the pose and the the arms outstretched, arms wide open, Creed music is what should be playing underneath <laughs> that. But like the crucifixion pose, I'm like. Superman is not, should not be one religion. The whole thing is Superman is everybody. When you pin him into this Christian myth and put him talking to a, a priest out of nowhere who's like leap of faith, I was like, this is all, this is a mess. Uh, well, it's, uh, the, the reason the crucifixion pose moment doesn't work for me is it's unearned. Like you yeah. said, it's out of nowhere. You certainly, you're following up on Jor-El or the program of Jor-El telling him you can save them all. And then he falls out of the ship, Jesus style. But he's not I'm gonna fall sac- Jesus style. When I trip suddenly, I'm like, I'm gonna fall Jesus style. Yeah, that's the best way to really hit your head, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> he's just saving Lois. Like that's all he's doing. He's not sacrificing himself to save the world. I'm not 100 percent against using Jesus iconography in movies, particularly superhero movies, because I get it. But it needs to make sense of the narrative, and it doesn't here. Uh, one fun fact, which I didn't know, and uh, is on the uh, Warner Brothers put up this website uh, for the movie, like to support it with reading material. And one of the reading material things was a nine-page essay about how Jesus was the original superhero. Which weird deb- point, debate guys. me on that. Justin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will not. I will not. Okay. Um, I, but I will say, I do the way that at the end of the Bible, uh, Jesus bumps his uh, Jesus. Um, icon into the uh, crucifixion to just turn it on. I mm-hmm. thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, Here, and one other thing, what, yeah. and then let's talk about good stuff because I have some good stuff to totally. say too. Me too. Um, like this movie also seems to think, which is a very Batman thing as well, that the only motivator, motivator to do good is because you're mad or you're mm-hmm. mad at someone. And that, again, that's anti Superman. And I think that should be anti hero. It's a very selfish understanding of what heroics is, where it's like, and it's very like, like, dude, like, I'm mad. I'm going to take it out on somebody. Mm-hmm. The only way to, for me to do anything is if I get mad enough about it. And I, 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 we've seen that. Even if you are jibe with that theme, which I do not, we've seen it enough. Like, we don't <laughs> need it. Let's get a new understanding of what it means to be a hero, especially with Superman, whose heroics come from belief and inspiration as opposed to, like, trauma and, like, punishment. Well, here's the thing that is so confusing to me about that in terms of how this movie is executed. So we mentioned earlier Mark Wade's Birthright, which has a lot of the Krypton scenes, which we could probably talk about in a second, yeah. but it also has this whole thing of Lois Lane investigating Superman as he travels around the world and saves people. And we get that. Like, we see him save the people on the oil rig selflessly. Fun. We get the flashback of him saving Pete on the bus, even though it reveals himself to his fellow classmates. Again, like, very... That's Superman. Like all of those scenes are Superman. But then we get that weird scene where he's working in the bar or restaurant or wherever yeah. it is, who the guys are bullying him. And then it cuts to outside and he's completely wrecked this guy's truck with the logs in his truck. 
that doesn't track with anything previously that we found about out about the character. Well, and that's the moment when I was like, uh, this isn't a Superman movie. Superman would never do that. He would do something, and I don't want to be prescriptive. Uh, I'm basing it on the, all the Superman from comic books, not my personal Superman. But, like, the Superman from comics wouldn't exact a life-shattering revenge on someone for a small <laughs> yeah. mistake they made in a bar. Superman would get a little bit of get a burn. I think Superman does have that like sense of justice to be like this person needs to be shown that they made a mistake, but would do it in a way that doesn't have huge <laughs> ramifications. And I, I get ruin I, your entire business in life, buddy. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's also and, it's a it's a contrast with it's the Superman three right where he becomes bad Superman for a little while, and there's the yeah. scene of the bar where he's drinking and he beats up the guys in the bar for a bit. It's great. But that's very clearly the point of that is bad Superman. It feels yeah. like they saw that and they're like, what if we did that with good Superman? What do you think? Yeah. And that's the only inspiration here. And the, the idea that this is a young Superman so he doesn't know those rules, I don't buy that either because Mm-mm. the whole point of Superman is he was raised into these morals and like this way of being. So like I don't think that is what would happen um, in that that Superman situation. All right. Why don't we? I want. I do want to go back to the beginning because I do want to talk about the Krypton scenes that open it. Which, funnily enough, I think my kids and my wife, she had never seen the movie either, kind of hated and were very confused by. But I loved. Like as a comic book fan, that's some great wild sci-fi stuff that's going on with almost no explanation. It just throws you in there, and it's it's a really good sequence. Russell Crowe versus Michael Shannon. It's a lot of fun. It's so good and. You know, a gr- I, it's a little Game of Thronesy. Like mm-hmm. I feel like this came out at when Game of Thrones was like absolute crush, like just rising to prominence. <laughs> so they were like, "Well, let's have him ride a fucking dragon." Uh, nothing <laughs> else. So that that part feels a little dusty, maybe. But um, th- I thought this was great, and honestly, this works. This works really well. It sets everything up without having. There's a lot of exposition later in the movie that I think that. This scene, you don't need the rest of it. This scene does it. Yes, 100%. I was going to point that out. There's the scene later on where the projection of Jor-El explains the same thing that we've already seen yeah. to Kal-El. It looks very nice. Entirely unnecessary, yeah. Well, And I also think, here's here's my pitch. You could do a Superman movie that has this exact sequence, and then, like, Wizard of Oz is it. And, like, we have this cold, black, brooding Krypton and then when Superman lands on Earth, it becomes bright mm-hmm. Norman Rockwell Americana. The tone lightened. That's literally the point of the movie. This boy left a cold, dead world to come to the Earth and, you know, in its core understanding, America, and become this beacon. And if they just sort of push through that black and white darkness into like a bright, emotive, inspiring uh, world for Superman, that's the movie. That's the future. Yeah. Superman. Well, and I think I know we're jumping sort of to the end here, but I think that's what James Gunn has talked about with Superman Legacy, right? Like at least in part. So I don't know. I, th- I think we'll see some stuff there. One other thing well, I wanted to point out with the Krypton sequence, which I had not noticed before and didn't jump out to me, but definitely jumped out to my kids because we had also seen the original Christopher Reeve Superman. Both of them have a very prominent baby penis in them, which seems <laughs> – and they're like, why – why do we need to see these entirely nude babies in both of these scenes? But I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that. It was just a weird thing they brought up. That's funny. I didn't notice that, but um, the, uh, I mean, I'm sure they're just like, we got to see it all. It's all their cultures like this. They don't believe in tiny diapers. 
Wherever you want on Krypton. (laughs) Um, I also like the idea, just while we're talking about the sequence, I like the idea of the Genesis chamber and the Codex. I even like the core idea of taking the Codex and hiding it in Superman. It's an obvious twist that you see coming over the course of the movie. Yeah. But that literally the hope of Krypton and the totality of Krypton is left in Superman. I think that's a smart idea. And I like how that's played out through the movie. It gives Zod a motivation as well. So they get very didactic about it and obvious, but at the same time, I think as a theme that works. I agree. Like he's the hope for the people and Zod has the, you know, crude uh, genocide version of it. While uh, Jor-El had the like, inspiring like you have to go like use this how you will you're the hope of our people and like it's great if they had just you know put those two philosophies against each other a little bit more i think it would have been better instead jor-el kills or zod kills jor-el once and then he kills him later on in the movie again (laughs) and so that's the thing is zod's philosophy is given a lot of truck it's given a lot of like his authoritarian like it's sort of it doesn't really lose in the end. It's just mm-hmm. Superman beats him. In fact, Zod is like, hey, the only way out of this is if you kill me or I kill you. And Superman's like, like got, got it. it. <laughs> I'll do what you said. And I'm like, that's not what a hero does. A hero doesn't do no. what the villain says. So Zod's <laughs> philosophy literally wins out. And that mm-hmm. is to me is a dangerous thing. And I hope that this is for the future, the Flash movie, which features Zod. Well, maybe investigate that a little bit and try <laughs> to spin that on its no, own. Like, no, they're going to also have Supergirl kill Zod and snap his neck <laughs> a bunch of times. Like, turn it all the way around. <laughs> I mean, let me spin say, it like, like a record, twist man. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Just a five-minute sequence towards the end of the movie where two flashes and Batman are like, oh, my God. Oh, it's oh like, what are you doing? No, it's like trying okay. to open a trying to open a pickle jar. It's like, hey, yeah. you get your hand on this, Supergirl. I can't quite get this head Supergirl off. Supergirl takes it, like bangs it on the side of something for a little <laughs> bit, renders it under some hot water because it's not coming off. Yeah, mm, Zod yeah. pickles. Batman's like, you gotta hit the fifty-seven. Get that. <laughs> yeah. Batman get the blood flowing. Batman's a big ketchup guy. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, let's talk about Michael Shannon, which, because uh, like we mentioned, he's going to show up in the Flash movie as well. I think he's great. No notes. Uh, I, I love him. So good. He He's great because he's like, and we can't, like, Russell Crowe's also great in this movie, and he's like this sort of cold scientist, and Zod is like turned up from the jump. He's like, <laughs> we gotta do this. And it's just like, <laughs> he's turned up the whole movie. To right where you want to be. He's like, we were in this zone, phantom zone, now we're here, we gotta do it. It's great. It's what you want. I think about. what works about it, and this is true of almost any Michael Shannon performance, is he doesn't care. He doesn't yeah. care what's going on. He's just gonna do his thing and have a good time doing it. His, I will find him! Scene, so yeah. good. I know that was in the trailer, but I love watching that every time. I hope he does that again in The Flash. The... This is not about this movie. I think this is about the next movie. After he dies, they like have his body around, and there were all these rumors about him coming back for Batman v Superman. And one of my absolute favorite things, I think it was Vulture, if I remember correctly, he gave an interview where completely straight face is like, yeah, I'm coming back, but this time I got flipper hands. And, it, and they were like, flipper hands? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, it was really tough because I had to keep them on between takes. And it was very hard to open the bathroom door with my flipper hands. And they were like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm serious. And so there was this rumor for months that he was going to be back but have flipper hands in the movie. And that's exactly the tone that he brings here where he's like, I'm just going to go for it. Let let me just go for it. Yeah. Let's go. 
It's a testament to his performance as well that we take him seriously despite the 90s alt-rock cover band goatee that he has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he grew that during his time in the Phantom Zone. Yeah, clearly, and it's it's sort of embarrassing, but he is great. He lives in Red Hook. I used to live over in Red Hook, Brooklyn, uh, in on the edge, and he, um, he would come into this coffee shop that he had a partial ownership in sort of just brood in go over to the machine make his own espresso sip it like throw it back not talk to anybody and then walk right back out and go to whatever he's doing it's great i was like this is like being next to zod oh my gosh the other thing that i want to point out that i think is positive about the movie hans zimmer's score here that's great is like it is hard to take something you know in the rear of your mirror you got john williams score for superman Iconic, unimpeachable, and to come in and then do something like that that is entirely different and completely works is great. I've mentioned this a million times whenever we talked about this on the live show or any of the questions have come up, but there is a third trailer to Man of Steel, which I would argue is the best Superman movie ever released. It's basically a highlights reel of this movie, but it's to the what will you do when you're not saving the world track, which plays, I think, in part towards the end of this movie. And it is so good and so stirring and includes the moment that chokes me up you know, we were kind of harsh on Kevin Costner's pocket, but the moment when he's showing off the ship uh, to yeah. Clark and he's like, can oh, I still yeah. be your son? And he says, you are my son. And there's this hitch in my voice. Hitch in his voice. Hitch in my voice. Yeah, it, exactly. it gets me every time. It works. And I think like paired with that score, it's it's beautiful. It's great stuff. And there could be a great version of the – Superman growing up, I and mean, we cut around it so much because we're just jumping, so we don't really actually see Mon Pa Kent with young young Superman, Superboy, very much. There could be a version of it that is just like so heartrending and inspiring. And in the comics, Pa Kent usually, I say usually dies because he died like four times, but he usually dies by having a heart attack uh, on the farm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if we had gotten that that way rather than the mm-hmm. stones. Don't stop the tornado, bro. Moment. I think we would have been better off. Yeah. The uh, I, I noted this down while I'm going through here. This is back to the Krypton sequence, but I love the subtlety of the PETA ships that takes everybody into the Phantom Zone ship. Like they're just straight up, like yeah, PETA balls flying up there. Well, yeah, there's that, and I like later in the movie where they're like, "Oh no, the ship's splitting into two sort of dicks." there's a smaller one now (laughs) watch out yeah uh oh oh i know what i wanted to bring up when we were talking about the podcast stuff so this is another thing like the game of thrones thing where i think it's Zack snyder doing a good job of this but basically aping somebody else which is terrence malick like around the same time there's so much malick in this tree of life i think was the movie that came out right around this Uh, maybe a little bit before but yes and there's so much of that in the like a lot of the close-ups the little pebbles moving on the ground there's just Mm -hmm. so much of like those like very naturalistic still camera shots and there's but it's also again it's like not necessarily consistent if they had gone for that and like you're saying not that i necessarily need to see a whole smallville crack growing up movie necessarily but if you do that as this very naturalistic small town americana thing again at least you'd have a more consistent movie so a movie that's aiming for one thing rather than everything 
Yeah, agreed. Another thing about all the Krypton stuff is I thought I thought it diminished the sort of mythology a little bit that there was already a ship on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I like the outpost where Zod we hear Zod's story and they kept finding death. That was cool. But for suit for Clark for Superman to go to the and be like, look, here's this other ship. Why wouldn't all that stuff just been in the baby ship? He finds the baby mm-hmm. ship, and that's where he unlocks all of the stuff from his past. Because I I also love the idea rather than. Are Russell Crowe, uh, Jor-El wandering around another Krypton ship? If if Jor-El appeared in the barn mm-hmm. and he could be like, "What's this?" <laughs> and like saw an animal, like that yeah. would have been so dope. The, the, the crossing. I would have over. loved it if Jor-El saw an animal. That would be so cool. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, "I ride dragons. What's this? What's this um, fuzzy dragon? It's a sheep, Dad." Mm-hmm. Like then we get a little bit of crossover of like dad on dad and Clark can be like just sort of a little bit showing him his life on earth that would that would bring so much of this stuff together and missed opportunity so we talked about this on a news podcast a little while ago about the scout ship that Clark eventually uses you see a dead body in there we hear from Zod when he gives the whole backstory that they had sent out all these scout ships and none of them worked like uh, apparently, yeah. Krypton is not just a dying civilization, but they sent out 10,000 over the course of 10,000 years scout ships and none of them took on any other planet. A bummer it's for those astronauts. <laughs> super bummer. It seems like there was supposed to be a whole backstory there. I'm sure they were going to tar into Darkseid eventually when he showed up in Justice League 2 or something like oh, that. Yeah. So there might have been some sort of explanation. The thing that Zack Snyder mentioned recently is he was going to tie the scout ship into Kryptonian mythology by having Ares be the one who downed the scout ship, but Ares was also Kryptonian or something like that. So mm. Wonder Woman was also Kryptonian and they're all Kryptonian. Right. Glad they, oh, glad yes. they didn't do that. Uh, agreed. Um, uh, oh, uh, every single authority figure in this movie is stupid. Uh, specifically general uh, Harry Lennox's character, very stupid and Perry White, Maybe the worst newspaper editor in I don't know film history. I'm gonna say. Just well, off. there's a there's a lot of the the scenes, and I like uh, I like the portrayal of Perry White, but like the stuff he says is like Lois, you're off this story. You released it anyway. Okay, don't do that again. I believe you though. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, then what he calls this? her. He's like, journalistic integrity doesn't matter, Lois. I'm just the editor in chief of a major newspaper. Uh, you gotta run for your life. Yeah. Uh, and to your point about authority figures, it's just there's also all the military folks. And Christopher Maloney is he who plays mm-hmm, yeah. the other dude, um, where he's like, hey, like he's a target, kill him, kill him. And Superman then saves his life like nine times. Then he's like, you know what? I'm starting to like you. I was like, he saved your life like so many times. Of course you like him. You can't kill him. They, they treat it like this big stretch idea for Maloney's mm-hmm. character. I'm like, you can't just get on board with this guy. Yeah. It's all – it's just broad washes of characters across the board. I also think – and mind you, I like her. She's a good actress. Amy Adams, mm-hmm. wrong for Lois Lane. She does not work as Lois Lane. Yeah, it's a little weird. I agree. But once we were sort of in on that choice, you know, I, I like I sort of like she's the only character who like looks at Superman, <laughs> like really the whole movie. So at yeah. least I like seeing Superman in her eyes because that's the only 
character who is giving me the like wonder of Superman. The rest of them are like mad at a Superman or they mm-hmm. just can't look at him or whatever. So I like her as sort of the mirror onto Superman that we get. But from a chemistry or romance thing, when they kiss, I'm like, first off, weird time for a kiss. Weird Everyone's time. dead. <laughs> You're in a wasteland. You're like, well, I do want to kiss. And I'm like, oh, okay. Let's see. I would say I, I do want to kiss and I want to have our three coworkers watch. Yeah. The the that, three people that were made in Metropolis. That to me is hands down, I think, uh, the other things that we've talked about aside for, you know, ethical reasons, the worst scene of the movie. And the reason that's the worst scene of the movie, them kissing in the remains of Metropolis, where only the three people who they know have showed up and crawled through the wreckage. It looks like nothing. It's staged yeah. like nothing. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's just there to give him a kiss. And it's stupid. Well, and like in, in general, like we, once we hit the fight, 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 fight portion of the movie, it just ends up being such superhero shorthand and into like the matrix of it all, where it's like, let's just wreck this whole city. And and I just don't know why we like that anymore. And, and this movie is we've seen it so many more times since. So hopefully in the future, we won't have to do it because while I was watching, I was reminded of um, World War Z. Oh, where I thought you were going to say 9-11. Yeah, well, yes, that uh, for sure. And I, I I, think we made that comparison many times over. And I was like, I don't need to say that again. The World War Z of it all, though, like when they made that movie, they had a whole third act that was a fight sequence like this, where it was just like this epic CGI battle. And they ditched it. They dumped it because they were like, this doesn't work. It's too much. And it's not, we lose every part of the emotional narrative. And then they went with this much smaller focused, just absolutely thrilling boiler of a moment at the end. And then it works so much, I assume, so much better. And I hope we I wish we could have that here as opposed to this just like at mass, everybody dies. And then it makes it even crazier how many people die. And Superman's like, well, not those three folks. I'll kill for those three. The that I, I know I was like mildly joking about the 9-11 thing, but particularly like. This movie came out even closer to 9-11. I believe you were as well, but like we were in New York when it happened. There's still a sentence of trauma there. And watching that, not to throw anybody under the bus, but I'm sure at some point, multiple times 9-11 got brought up when making the movie. They're like, yeah, we're really going to like channel the feelings of 9-11 and like what it's like being in this war zone. And at some point, I'm sure also somebody was like, but what if a thousand 9-11s? Like, what if it was all 9-11s? And that's what it feels like when you're watching it, where like you were getting towards here, the idea that Superman is just smashing through these buildings and destroying them. It's the same thing with the Smallville fight where he doesn't care what's destroyed. He doesn't care who's potentially – he's not saving people. He's just trying to stop Zod, and that's his main thing. And again, the arguments over the past decade or so have been like, well, he's so incensed, he's so enraged. What would it be like if these two superhumans with superpowers were fighting? Isn't that realistic? And no. I know there's a sense – a lack of realism and like – there was a thing in the Hulk uh, comics that we've talked about a lot where it's – the Hulk is always working the angles in his head to make sure people are safe – I don't know if I want you to say buy it, but we're also reading a comic, and I prefer that. Yeah, I prefer the comforting fantasy of superheroes saving us while I'm watching my fantasy superhero movie, rather <laughs> than the realistic expectations of what would happen if Superman and Zod fought in the middle of New York City. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. And all of that, yes. Also, 
I'm bored by this. Like, let's mm-hmm. do another. Let's make another choice on a from just from a purely creative point of view as well. And you know what? Other the other thing I thought of when I was watching this, and this goes out to the comic fans. This movie is a little bit of a bummer Superman movie, but you know what? It's a great Martian Manhunter movie because hmm. the themes really hit of being an alien hiding on Earth and then having your culture come for you for a reason. In the, the scene when all the monitors and are saying you're you're not alone or whatever, again, weird message for Zod to be just like, well, let's really speak to the emotional state of Clark on Earth with you are not alone. But that's what the Martian Manhunter's whole thing is like, hiding, changing his face and shape, and being involved in noiry, dark, brooding thought spaces. So, and, and tense. I think this... They, they could use the, a lot of the stuff they have here to make a great Martian Manhunter movie. One of the notes that I wrote down is Zod is not good at sales. Just the whole idea that he's yeah. like, hey, Clark, uh, Kal-El, really need your help here. By the way, here's what it's going to look like after I destroy Earth. Just a field of skulls that you're going to drown in. Come help me. Be on my yeah. side. Not, not good. Welcome to Skull Beach, where we <laughs> relax on the skulls and tan. Yeah, love that those sun rays. Well, the other thing I thought of is like, why don't they just go to Mars and right. do the world or literally there. anywhere else? It's fine. Yeah. Like get him and then go to another place. It, it, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Uh, the there's two other big changes to Superman mythology that I wanted to get your bead on. One, we find out that the Superman suit is pre-made for him. It's just already there versus traditionally in the comics. Ma Kent makes at least an early version for him. What do you think about that? Uh, it's the cape part is weird because no one wears, there's not a lot of capes and it's also weird that they're like, well, I know we only deal in black and white, but throw some red in there. Spice mm-hmm. it up. Yeah. I bet he's going to like, a, he's going to color, little, but not too much color. Not too much just color. Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I prefer the, even though it's less maybe realistic, like that she would sew a suit for him. I think it, it's better for the mythology because her it connects him to Earth and to her and his superheroic sort of come naturally out of that. I don't know why Jorel would be like, well, let's give him an adult piece of clothing to wear <laughs> uh, when he gets there. It's not like not doesn't make sense. But the idea that the red and blue come out of the Americana and the earthiness of it as opposed to um, the the Kryptonian side of it. Yeah. Uh, and one other big change, we maybe this exists somewhere. I think maybe they introduced it in Batman v Superbad, but kryptonite, instead of kryptonite, they basically have krypton atmosphere is the big change here. That's the thing that we can Superman. That's the thing that throws Zod for a loop. The two atmospheres are not uh, conducive yeah. to each other. So what do you think about that change as well? Uh I get why they did it. So they could sort of power and depower folks as it went. And that became a little bit of a thing for Zod. Uh, I wish they'd done briefly, very briefly. I wish they'd done more with it because I don't mind that change. It doesn't make sense. It makes less sense, weirdly, than the sun stuff. Mm -hmm. The sun stuff tracks, I think. This, the idea that your powers turn on and off after like one breath of the air, either Mm -hmm. the air you need or the air you don't need. Doesn't really uh, make sense, but but I thought I thought it was a good idea that they used just a little weirdly. Mm-hmm. I 
It, it is. I agree with you. I think the way that it's used is inconsistent, but there is a level that I think it actually makes more sense than kryptonite. This idea that like, yeah. oh, your home planet, now the rocks are green and they hate you is very strange. And they keep showing the rocks up. Hate the, you. the rocks hate you. Uh, versus like incompatible atmosphere, that does make sense. Um, and, you know, they needed to not play it out at a certain point so they could have a big Zod and Superman fight, but... That is what it is. What else? Any other notes you want to call out about this movie? Uh, yes, I do have a couple. Um, the S means hope thing we've talked about a fair amount over the years. Funny. And like, I, I'm I'm on board with it as a way to get into why he would have an S if his suit came from Krypton. It's just the what hit me in this is it's a strange idea that the science family on Krypton was like, what we like is hope. Yep. <laughs> it should be like a test tube or something <laughs> on the, their their sigil. Um the uh I like the moment when Christopher Maloney's character is like, "All right, I'll use my knife." And then uh Leora pulls an evil knife. <laughs> like it's like, "Oh yeah? You got a knife? I got a crooked little bendy messy knife." It's <laughs> like, "Okay. Every part's evil." I wish they had done more with them, by the way. I don't know. So it's Feora, right? And Or is it Leora? I thought it was Leora, but I don't know. Whatever it is. The two lieutenants, the guy who's not, they're not Ursa and Nod, but they're Ursa and Nod is essentially what they are. They just gave them different names. Both of them are just kind of there. They don't make much of an impression, and then they get sucked into whatever happens to the ship at the end. I wish they had played in more. I wish they had been given more characters versus just lieutenants who are kind of there. Well, and I didn't need as many Kryptonians on the ship. If we just if we focus more on the classic uh, original uh, trio mm-hmm. from the other movies, I think that would have given us more to to enjoy. Yeah, um, and it would have given like a couple of philosophy points. Maybe maybe one of them was a little bit more different than Zod. Instead, everyone just has the same philosophy, and they're just different mouthpieces saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I want to say uh, is. In the end, we see a flash of young Clark wearing a cape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all put on capes as kids because of Superman. Right. So why did young Clark put on a cape? Was mm. he a big fan of, like, uh, French aristocracy? Or what, what's the deal? I mean, there's – Batman has existed for a while, right? When – Not that long. No, when, when Clark's a boy? Probably not, think so. right? Because yeah. Batman would have been a boy then. Yeah. Maybe he'd seen um, Superman movies. Oh, you think so? Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that would be a great turn if Christopher Reeve movies are on there. <laughs> <They laughs> like, I'm like that guy. <laughs> yeah. They're calling him Superman, you mm. know, because of the movies called Superman. That oh. He's dresses just like him. <laughs> yeah, that S stands for hope. That's what it stands for. <laughs> are you sure? I'm pretty sure it stands for Superman. From the Shope. Superman movie. It stands for Shope. That's what yeah. it stands for. Uh, anything else before we... The, I wanted to say, because we're going to talk about Flash in a sec. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but we could probably touch on one or two. Oh, other agree. Things. And I'll, I, I, one thing, and then I'll bridge us over there. I really actually like the Daily Planet scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's great. It's cute the way it's played out. And I like when Lois says, welcome to the planet. Like mm-hmm. it sums up a lot of the ideas that, again, I don't love all of them, but it really brought them together in one line it's from a writing perspective is not easy. And I thought it just, it brought in, in a world, in a movie where we didn't have a post credit sequence. And I think, and I think Christopher Nolan was like, don't, don't do that. Mm-hmm. I think they were very happy with the ending they had here and so much so they didn't put a post credit on it. So like 
I thought that was great. And then on this rewatch, um, you know, everyone talks about how there are like, oh, there's the DC tone and the Marvel tone as if those are the two poles and nothing else can exist. And, you know, we don't there's the self-seriousness and broodingness of like all these Nolan-esque DC movies and then sort of like Deadpool, uh, Zinger, Marvel side. And there are a million ways to find to do a different version of that. And that's what I'm hoping this Flash movie does a little bit and that James Gunn is really good at that. Like he, James Gunn is good at finding big emotions. And if he can take sort of some of that stuff that he uses in guardians and bring it to like a more high flying, higher minded character like mm-hmm. Superman, I think we're going to be in a really great place. Yeah. In terms of bridging that and talking about that, I think, you know, we're clearly getting like a wrap up of a bunch of things in the flash. I, I do think you mentioned this earlier Getting some different choices when it comes to Zod is going to be a good thing. I'm happy to see him again as a villain here. I do wonder if we're going to have other villains. I really haven't looked up spoilers for the movie or anything like that. Like, I think we're probably going to get the two Flashes coming against each other at some point. That'll probably be yeah. the actual main conflict. Um, the one thing, just from watching previews, that I'm bummed out about that they took here, that this is the same thing with a lot of movies these days. I know I sound like an old man when I say that, but... This fight against <laughs> Zod seems to be taking place nowhere, you know? Like, right. it's just a big, flat area where a bunch of CGI characters can rail on each other, and that's pretty much it. And that's a bit of a bummer to me. I guess we'll see how the other action sequences pan out. I'm also curious what other ideas they're going to take from Man of Steel, if anything, because the twist here that we're getting in the Flash movie is something happened to Clark. We don't know what happened to Clark. Kara is there instead, and she is taking his place as Supergirl or Superwoman or whatever they end up calling her in this movie. So we'll probably find out some more riffs and changes there as we go. And having just watched rewatched the movie twice in the past couple of months, I'm curious to see what those are. Yeah, and... And I, we talked when we talked about um, Flashpoint um, on our recent podcast. I think we were like, you know, it doesn't quite make sense that Flash changing the past somehow made Superman different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious how they do that in the movie and how that makes Supergirl there and how the everything Zod is the first then real threat to this to Earth. I think mm-hmm. because I guess that was the first. maximalist earth shattering threat coming to the DC universe. So like that's, that's a smart endpoint for this and the, the crisis that they need to solve. So I think that's an interesting, good choice. I like Zod as a villain. So let's, uh, it's great to see him again. There you go. If you would like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to talk to you about the DC Universe, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, Dad, uh, fingers crossed you don't have any uh, next snaps in your movie. And, Dad, I would rescue you if there was a tornado bearing down. Just so you know, even I don't care how many hands you're holding up. I would come there because I respect you. I'd let you die because I respect you.